you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of Luke. We've been out of the book of Luke for a little bit, um, and we're getting back in. So in Luke chapter 13, um, we're going to look at Luke 13, verses 10 through 21. You know this phrase, looks can be deceiving. Have you ever heard that? Something on the the outward appearance looks one way, but then it shows itself in some other way. Uh, I saw a commercial just fairly recently of an NBA basketball player who, I don't know who he was, but he dressed up as an old man. Did anyone see this? He put on full makeup. Who was it, Matt? That's Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. Okay, I didn't know that. So he dressed up like an old man and went and played streetball with some guys. So he looked like this crippled old man, and then he started dunking. And, and no one knew what to think. You know, looks can be deceiving. They thought that he was one thing, and he turned out to be something else. Um, and even here, as we're going to look at this passage, the, the idea that, that Jesus is communicating is that Looks can be deceiving, that that something may look small and insignificant and powerless. It may look like it's not going to do much, but it's going to do something amazing, specifically the kingdom. The kingdom of God is is greater than we could ever imagine, and it's it's not even really what we expect sometimes, and it's not what the religious leaders expected. And we see that so much with Jesus, that he keeps breaking everyone's mold about what they think the kingdom is going to be. And, And so I want us, we're going to kind of build to this point, but I'll give it to you up front. But I think that the main idea that we're going to see here in these verses is that the compassion and power of the kingdom of God may appear small, but they will have far-reaching and transforming effects. That's a little bit of a long sentence, so let me say it again. The compassion and power of the kingdom. We're going to see Jesus' compassion and his power. The compassion and power of the kingdom of God may appear small, but they will have far-reaching and transforming effects. So when it comes to the kingdom, looks can be deceiving. I want to jump right in here into the passage, Luke 13, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 21, just to kind of give you a heads up about what you'll see here. We're going to see a healing on the Sabbath day and the reaction of the people to that healing. And then Jesus in verse 18, it says, He said, therefore, and that's why we're going to tie these verses in, that therefore means that coming out of this miracle and the response of the crowd, He has something that He wants to teach And he's going to give us um, two examples of what the kingdom is like. So that's where we're heading. So uh, Luke 13, and I'll start reading in verse 10. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, You are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. (laughs) Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like 
a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. What a wonderful scene here. That's kind of, verse 10 sort of sets the scene, doesn't it? Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching on the Sabbath. That's kind of, these are things we need to know. He's in the synagogue and it's the Sabbath day. Uh, we don't know exactly where he was, but we know at this point in his ministry, at least he's not so rejected that they're not letting him into the synagogue to teach. So he's still somewhat accepted. People are still listening to what he's saying. Um, and he's allowed to come into the synagogue and, and talk. Now, let's kind of zoom out a little bit here. And in the context of the, of the book of Luke, there's a couple things I think we should think about. Um, the first is that this is the first miracle or exorcism or healing that Jesus has done since chapter 11. So we, we watched for a long time that Jesus was doing a lot of miracles, a lot of healings, casting out demons. But since chapter 11, up until this point, he's done nothing. The last one that he did was he cast out a demon from a man, and that's when they said to him, you're doing this by this power of Beelzebub. You're doing this by the power of Satan. And from that moment, he did not do any more miracles, but he did a lot of teaching, and he punctuated all his teaching with this idea of repent. Repent and believe. And so it seems that he is, he's calling people to repent after this sort of rejection of what his ministry was. The second thing to note is that this is not the first healing that he's done on the Sabbath, at least as far as Luke records it. Um, in Luke chapter 6, around verses 6 to 11, he does another one. Where, you remember the guy with the withered hand? Jesus calls the man with the withered hand that was sort of crumpled up, and he tells him to stretch it out. It's on the Sabbath in the synagogue, very similar, and he stretches it out, and it's, and it's made Whole. But before, right before that, he says, he, he says to the crowd, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And he looks around at everyone and no one says anything. And he tells the guy to stretch out his hand and it's, it's made whole. And the, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes discuss what they're going to do with him. What are we going to do with this guy? One commentator, Daryl Bach, says then that this is called, it's a, it's a mere, mere miracle. Not mere as in M-E-R-E, but mere as in a reflection. It's, it's reflected later on in the, in the book, and it's as if there was one reaction early on where they rejected Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, and now he's doing it again. And he's going to say, okay, I've taught a long time, I've been with you for a while, how are you going to react now? Has anything changed? It's, it's like he's this, this vine, this, um, owner of the vineyard in verses six through nine. You remember that? The owner of the vineyard comes, he's looking for fruit on the tree and there's none. And so he says, cut it down. It's as if Jesus has preached for a while and he's saying, all right, now is there any fruit? Let's try this again. Is there any fruit? Are you going to repent and believe now? Do, do you see who I am or are you going to get caught up in this whole thing that it's the Sabbath and I'm doing it on the Sabbath day? So he's, he's, it's in a sense he's, he's checking this out. Is there fruit? I think that's a good question for us, isn't it? Is Jesus going to find fruit on us? Maybe we've heard from Jesus for a while. Maybe you've been with us in the book of Luke. Or maybe you've just been in this church under the teaching of the gospel. If Jesus shows up, is he going to see anything different? Have we changed it all? Are we reacting to what he's saying? Do we, are we ready to repent and to believe in, in who Christ is? Or are we the same as we've always been? Are we just going to respond the same way as we always do to what Jesus says? Is he going to find fruit on us? Well, let's look at the scene here. That's sort of the context, but let's kind of really get down into this, right? I mean, we want to think about what would it be like to be there? I think that's what we really need to do with the Gospels. 
What if I was there when Jesus did this miracle? What would it have been like? Jesus is here. He's teaching in the synagogue. Um, He's probably seated at the front because that's how they would have taught. So if you have issues with people sitting while they're preaching, well, Jesus did it. um, So he can't be too mad. Um, So Jesus is there sitting. um, And as he's teaching, he notices this woman in the back. And she she is bent over. Um, she she can't sit up, she can't stand up, she can't walk straight and, and erect. He, he sees this woman, and she's just permanently that way. We don't know exactly why, um, what what was wrong with her, but if you've ever had back pain, maybe you can relate with that. Ken's nodding his head. Uh, last week, I know that that was a struggle. Um, but or, it's it's something, though, that, that everyone had seen. Everyone had, has observed this in this woman. They've all seen that she can't stand up straight because of this pain or maybe because her spine has fused in some way. Something is, is wrong. And we're told it's not just a, something that recurs. like Every once in a while, she her back goes out. But rather that she's been like this for 18 years. 18 years. So kids, some of you aren't even 18 years old. Just imagine that you couldn't sit up straight or lay down on your back for your whole life. Or if you're older than 18 years old, this is something to do. Take your age, subtract 18 from your age. Now, if that's too hard, just subtract 20. That's a little bit easier. And then add 2. Okay. So subtract that. Now, think about how old you were 18 years ago. And since that age until the present day, you have been bent over, unable to stand up. That's a long time. That's a terrible thing. I mean, you can't, um, you know, when you wake up in the morning, I, when I wake up Jude in the morning, even just as a little kid, he just stretches his back, throws his hands up in the air. You know that great morning stretch? Couldn't do that. Couldn't sit up straight. You're always bent over. I remember seeing a woman fairly recently, and, and she was so bent over that she would, she had to lift her, her head with her hand because of something wrong with her, her back. That was what was wrong. So imagine what it's been like for this woman. The, the source of the issue is probably partly physical, but you can notice there that it says she had dis, a disabling spirit. So there's some sort of oppression in going on in this woman. It's physical, but it's also spiritual. Now, I don't think that means that every physical infirmity should therefore be tied to a, a demon. But there certainly is a sense in which that, that there, is, there are spiritual forces that are working against us in this sinful world, and they can cause physical infirmities to plague us. Um, that's one of the ways we, we talked about a couple weeks ago, that all of creation is in bondage to futility because of sin. And so this woman is, is bent over because of sin, because just the fallen nature of this world that our bodies break, but also because Satan... And, and there are demonic oppression that, that happens that, is ca- that are causing this woman to be bent over. That's a great picture, though, I think, of us, isn't it? That, that we are bent over. Sometimes we are bent over in physical pain and the forces of wickedness in this world, but each of us also is, we're, we're crooked. We're bent by sin. Well, isn't that a, a picture of what sin does to us? It doesn't. We're not straight. We're not the way that we are supposed to be. We're in bondage to corruption. We are sinners. I was reading this week and just reminded of this truth that that we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. Does that make sense? So you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because that's what you are deep down. That's what we all are apart from Christ. We are crooked. We are, our backs are out of alignment. Our whole soul is out of alignment. And that's why we sin. We need to be changed at the core of, of who we are. 
There's a song by a guy named Derek Webb, and he says, Lord, I'm crooked deep down. And then the next line is, everyone is crooked deep down. (laughs) Isn't that true? That we all are. We're all bent over in this way. We need someone to straighten us. Back to the story. Um, Jesus sees this woman, just as many people had seen her for the past 18 years, but all the people that saw her before couldn't do anything to help her. I mean, maybe you've had that experience of seeing someone in physical pain and you say, if there was something I could do, I would help, but I can't do anything. But Jesus sees her and Jesus knows he can help. He can do, see, he can do something. So Jesus sees her, he feels compassion, and he also knows that he has the power to do something. And so he calls her to the front of the synagogue. Isn't that uh, this picture of this woman now coming to the front of the synagogue, bent over, So she's coming and she's bent. She's probably looking at the ground because that's all that she could do, but maybe she's glad that that's all she can do because she doesn't want to look at everyone staring at her if she's coming to the front. But she's coming maybe with hope. Let's hope this isn't just a cruel joke that Jesus is going to parade her in front of everyone and then not do anything to help her. Maybe there's there's hope that he might be able to, to heal her. And so she comes and she stands at the front and Jesus begins to speak to her. And I don't... No, it doesn't, text doesn't tell us this, but if I imagine Jesus talking to her, I imagine her, him making sure that he could look her in the eye. So if it was him stooping down or just bending over so that he could make eye contact with this, with this woman. And what does he say? He says, woman, you are freed. And then, that's the phrase that he uses. Woman, you are freed from your disability. You are Released, you are set free, you are loosed from this thing that has plagued you for the past 18 years. He says it and then he, he touches her, probably on the back, I would imagine, that, that would make the most sense, wouldn't it? And he touches her and the text says immediately. This wasn't just, you know, it took time, it was immediately she was made straight. She stood up straight and she looks at the crowd and she probably then looks at Jesus and it says that she glorified God. Isn't that interesting? It says she glorified God. It doesn't say that she glorified Jesus. She glorified God. Of course, you know, it's one and the same in many ways, but it also just the recognition that the power that Jesus had came from God, that Jesus was in fact himself God. She glorifies God. Again, isn't this the picture of salvation, what Jesus does for us? That's what all the miracles are at the core of them. And they're telling us of what, of this greater reality that Jesus has come to do. So just as this woman is bent over, so too we are bent, we are crooked because of sin. And Jesus comes and he says, you are freed from your disability. You are freed from your sin. Now stand up straight and walk the way that you were intended to. You are healed. And the cross, that's what Jesus does. He comes and He pays the price for sin, that the sin that cripples us, that enslaves us. And then He makes it possible for us to be set free. That's what He made. He didn't make us to live hunched over under the, the weight of sin, but He made us to be free from sin. And so He comes in Christ and does that if we would repent and believe. Of course, that's not just our initial response to the gospel. It is that, that point where we are, are, we become, we're able to stand up straight because of what Christ has done. But it's also something that happens throughout our lives, isn't it? Because sin is, it has the tendency to make us hunch over. It has the tendency to bend us. Second, uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That correction idea has the idea that we are. We are bent, and the Word comes and tells us, this is the way you're supposed to be. Now straighten up. (laughs) And so we get straight, and then we are able to walk in the ways that God has called us to. The Word acts as a chiropractor, as it were, and straightens up our back so that we can walk the way that we're supposed to. That's why we we meditate in it. We say, okay, the Word says I'm supposed to be like this. But I feel a whole lot like this. So I need to walk in the way that God has told me to. This is the way. And so that's what so much of our lives are about. When we read God's word, it corrects us. This woman glorifies God, it says. She's thrilled. She's happy. But not everyone there is happy, right? Um, In the midst of this scene, everyone's still in shock, probably. She's standing there, maybe she's giving Jesus a hug or something, and, and, and everyone's sort of trying to figure out what in the world just happened. And in the midst of that, the ruler of the synagogue, red with anger, stomps to the front. He's indignant, is what my translation says, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He comes up and he says to the people, there are six days in the week when you can work. You can come on any one of those days and be healed, but today is the Sabbath. You're not allowed to get healed on the Sabbath day. <laughs> oh my, this poor guy. I mean, just imagine, think about this. This woman has just been healed after 18 years, and this guy says, Hey, it's the Sabbath day. I'm a little upset about what happened here. <laughs> this, is, this is where it, our understanding, this guy's understanding, and our understanding of the kingdom is often just a little twisted. This ruler's standing there, and he just he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. He's 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 so worried about the rules and walking in, in these specific rules that they have created that he's missing it. When we were back in Luke six, we said that the the purpose of the Sabbath was was threefold. It was for resting, it was for remembering, and it was for rejoicing. It was a day of rest, patterned after creation, that we are to rest, and God intends that for the good of of His people. It's good to take a break. It's, it's good for your health. It's good for the land to have a break. This was in, integrated into the, the life of the Jewish people, the sabbatical year, the year of Jubilee. This was a good thing. It was a time to rest, and we all need to rest. But it was also a day for remembering. After In Deuteronomy 5, after uh, Moses writes that you're to keep the Sabbath holy, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So part of the Sabbath day was to remember what God has done. And not just by ourselves, but Leviticus 23 says that the Sabbath is a day of holy convocation, of sacred assembly. It's a time where you're supposed to get together and remember it together, not just by ourselves, but with one another. We remember what God has done and we reflect on that. But not only that, but what I think this guy was really missing is it's a day for rejoicing. The Sabbath day was not, it was a solemn day, but it was also a day of rejoicing. When God created the world, this was not a solemn time, but it was a time when at the end of every day he said, wow, this is good. And then on the last day, this is very good. And he rests in and enjoys the creation that he has made. And so too, that's what we are supposed to do. We're to enjoy this day. Think about the people of Israel, this agrarian society where they work by the sweat of their brow every day, day after day for six days a week. And God says, I forbid you to work on the seventh day. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be mean. It was supposed to be a blessing. It's a gift. Have you ever had someone say that to you? I forbid you from working. And they do it because they love you. 
go sit down. You made the whole meal. We'll do the dishes. It's supposed to be a blessing. And and what the people of Israel had, and, and the Jewish people and the Pharisees had turned it into was just this miserable day. Not just them. I told you we've been reading some of the um, Laura Ingalls Wilder books. Man, the Sabbath was a terrible day for them. It was all the kids talked about us, all the things they weren't allowed to do and how miserable the Sabbath was and they just longed for every other day of the week. I hope that that's not how you feel about Sundays. There's something that we're supposed to rejoice in. There's supposed to be joy in this day. And the Sabbath was, this is what the Sabbath was supposed to be like, but the, the synagogue leader and everyone else who nodded their head in agreement when he said that, they had totally missed this. The day was about prohibitions, about doing things that you weren't, about, about not doing things that you weren't supposed to do. And it was about subtracting out of that day love for others and service to others. That's what false religion does. False religion, it gets us focused on things that don't really matter. So much so that we neglect the things that really do matter. They neglected what was most important. Most important was to, to love others. So if this is a mere miracle, and we're, we're wondering if the synagogue leader and some of the Jewish people got it, we can say, I guess they didn't get it yet. They haven't repented. They haven't seen who, who Christ is yet. But Jesus has no problem confronting it. So there's the scene that Jesus is there. He doesn't sort of sneak out the back like whoops I kind of messed that up I should have waited till tomorrow no he he says he comes to the front what's he say you hypocrites here he is the synagogue leader the, the leader of this church and Jesus comes and says to the pastor you're a hypocrite can you imagine if that happened this morning I can't that would be terrible um, but just imagine what that's like the synagogue leader gets called out for hypocrisy you fake you are an actor you, you pretend like you're religious. You're a pretender in following God. And then he says, why, why should this woman not be healed? Let's, let's Give me the list of reasons why she shouldn't be healed. I'll give you the list of reasons why she should. He says, he says first of all, you're a hypocrite because don't you untie your ox and your donkey? You loose your ox and your donkey and you give it water? So you take care of your animals? You, you let them drink something on the Sabbath day, right? Isn't that work? I mean, you're doing something. There. Notice that word loose. And he says, shouldn't this woman, verse 16, shouldn't this woman be loosed? And he gives the reasons, the three reasons, I think. Shouldn't this woman be released first because she's a daughter of Abraham? She's a, a, a chosen daughter of God. She is someone created in God's image that is to receive the blessings of God. She's a daughter of Abraham. Why wouldn't she be healed? She's much better than an ox or a donkey. I mean, she's the daughter of Abraham. Why can't we take care of her? He says, she's the daughter of Abraham. And then he says, and Satan has bound her for 18 years. He says, I'm not waiting another day. It's been 18 years that this woman has been in bondage. Why, would we, why, why do you want me to wait until, uh, until well, I guess it would have been Sunday. <laughs> because Saturday would have been the Sabbath. Why do you want me to wait another day? And then I think the, the final reason there is, is a little bit more subtle. This daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed on, from this bond on the Sabbath day. I think Jesus says, you're telling me don't heal her because it's the Sabbath. I'm telling you, today's the perfect day to heal her. <laughs> if there's any day to heal someone, it's the Sabbath day. It's the Lord's day. It's this day of rejoicing and, and remembering what God has done. If we're going to heal someone, let's, let's heal everyone on the Sabbath day. Everyone go work, just come on the Sabbath day and we'll heal everyone then. 
The Sabbath is not intended to keep people from being released from their sin. And, and we make religion so much so that it, it, it keeps people. False religion keeps people from, from coming to God and from receiving what He would have them to have. There's another picture in here, though. It's this freedom idea, this being loose, just thinking about that. That's what God does for us in our sin. He frees us from sin. In so many ways, we are, we are bent over by sin. We are oppressed by sin. We are under bondage to sin. Satan holds it over us. And Jesus comes to proclaim, you are loosed from sin. You are released from the penalty and the judgment to sin. But yet again, Jesus splits the crowd. That's how he... That's what he does. He said these things and all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So all his opponents were embarrassed and everyone else is rejoicing. I don't know if they're rejoicing because the opponents are embarrassed, maybe partly. (laughs) Maybe they're kind of glad that Jesus called out the hypocrites in the church. But uh, they're rejoicing at all the glorious things that were done by him. This is great. And it says then, he said, therefore, so in the midst of this, all right, so get the picture of Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. He heals this woman who had bent for, been bent for 18 years. He calls out the hypocrites who are opposed to this. And, and, and then he, the crowd is split. Some are opposed to him and some rejoice. And then he says, what can I compare the kingdom to? So there's these two kingdom parables that kind of come out of this healing in this scene in the synagogue. What's the what's the tie-in? That's kind of where I want to close us out here. So the kingdom of God, he says, what's it like? First of all, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which is a very small seed. The kingdom is like a small, tiny seed that when it's planted, it grows into a huge tree. The kingdom of God is like leaven, where just a little pinch put into a whole bunch of dough expands and affects the whole loaf. What's he trying to say? I think with the first one we see that the kingdom is is expansive in its growth. Okay, So the seed goes in the ground and it's tiny. You don't expect a whole lot from a tiny little seed, but all of a sudden this whole tree grows out of it. It's expansive in its growth. He says that the birds of the air make nests in its branches, which is probably an allusion to the Gentiles coming in. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for all the nations. All the nations come in. And all the nations are, are there gathered together because in the kingdom of God. And it's, it just started out so small. But it grows and the growth is expansive. But also its, it's, it's uh, influence is extensive. It, it has extensive influence. It's just a little bit in the dough and it, it spreads to everything. But in both these things, the change is internal. You don't see the seed growing and you don't see the, the leaven working its magic inside the dough. You don't see it. It's unseen and it's, and it's internal. This, I think, is what Jesus is trying to say. That Again, that the compassion... And the power of the kingdom of God may appear small, but they will have far-reaching and transforming effects. So this little scene in the synagogue, I think Jesus is trying to say, this may seem little. And we have people that are opposed to us right now. But in the kingdom of God, what seems small becomes big. And what seems insignificant has massive influence. Just think about this this woman. 18 years. I mean, the effect on her life 
was massive. Changed everything for her. It was so little, though. It just it just started small, but it was expansive. And even to think, it's just one person, isn't it? There's a ton of people in that synagogue. There's a ton of people in that city and in Jerusalem. And in, but one person is is changed, and the effect is is massive. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God. It it looks tiny. It just looks simple. You know what it looks like? It looks like a woman bent over for 18 years being healed. That's little, but it's going to have massive effects. And there's going to be opposition. It's going to look like people are against it and going to crush it, but it's going to grow. It's going to be massive, and it's going to have massive effect. And this is the story of Christianity. So Jesus takes a group of of 12 guys, which gets pared down to 11 because of, of Judas, and he takes this group and he turns the world upside down. And suddenly the gospel starts to spread and you read the book of Acts and it just becomes huge and all the nations are coming in. And now you think about what Christianity is and it's, it's spread all over. And the influence is, is massive. And yet at the same time, it, it, it's true in our own lives that the gospel may seem small. What are you called to do in responding to the gospel? You're called to believe. <laughs> Maybe you were called to pray a prayer, but part of that was to believe. It's something simple. And it's just this little seed that, that comes in, as it were, into our hearts. The seed of belief in Christ. But then it, it starts to kind of blow up, doesn't it? And it just infects every part of us. It's, it's little. It looks like it's small. It looks like it has no influence. But then it, it becomes big and expansive. And the influence goes throughout our entire lives. Uh, not only that, but we see it in the lives of others. Where people, we look at them. And you, you may be looking at them like, like this woman who's bent over. It's a hopeless case. How will they ever change? But the gospel can come in. And they, they can believe. They can repent. And suddenly it just changes their entire life it's little it seems insignificant but it it's radical and maybe we think about that as a church just a small little church here in Louisville I mean pretty insignificant in the vast uh, group of, of, of churches not only in this city but just think about all the people in this city we've we've said there's probably close to 30,000 people just in our zip code what are we going to do what's this going to be like? And I think Jesus is saying, you look tiny. It's just small. It's just a little pinch of leaven. It's just a little seed. But the gospel, the kingdom, it it just has a tendency to grow. Don't don't despise small beginnings. The, The compassion and the power of the kingdom appears small. And so when we act in compassion, when we... When we see people that, that have needs, physical needs, they come here on Sunday night and they need a meal. And, and so we give them some food. Last week it was just so great. We brought way too much food. And God kept sending people that needed food. <laughs> and so we kept sending them out with more food because we had tons of food. And it was beautiful, but it was little. And I look at that sometimes and I say, well, what was that? <laughs> what did we accomplish? I don't know. I guess we fed some people. Seems little. That's compassion to one person, to two people, to three people. But the effects can be massive. It's a simple thing of sitting down and sharing the gospel with someone, telling them the truth of what Christ has done. And maybe they don't believe in that moment, but there's this seed that, that's there, and maybe it's going to blow up in their lives. And, and, you know, in eternity we'll say, you know, you were the one that started this whole thing, and God got a hold of me eventually, and it, 
it changed. The compassion, the power of the kingdom, it, it, it seems so little, but it's going to have far-reaching and transforming effects. Not only in, in society at large. We look at all the ills in this world today and we think, well, what are we going to do? What do you do with homelessness? What do you do with murder? What do you, what do, you do with um, ISIS? What do you do with Ebola? I mean, these are massive things. What do we do? We preach the gospel. I don't know what else to do. I can't solve these problems. I mean, we think we need, we go in with compassion, but we also tell people of what Jesus has done. And that can have massive effects. When you think about the issue of Ebola, I'm amazed to see how who are the people that are running into those countries with medical training and helping people. It's the Christians. It's people from Samaritan's Purse. It's people from these other organizations because what starts little has a massive effect, not just in hearts, not just in individuals, not just in churches, but in the world at large. So I'll be honest, I've struggled with the connection here. (laughs) I love the story of 10 through 17, but I think there's a tie-in with verses 18 through 21, and here's what it is. I think it's this encouragement that, In the midst of the synagogue, there are people that rejoice, and there are people that reject. And Jesus says to those who rejoice, listen, there's opposition, and this seems really little and maybe insignificant, but the kingdom will expand. The compassion and the power of God will blow up in such a way that you can't even imagine the effects that are going to happen. And so I just want to encourage us that the gospel seed is in our hearts. Let's just let it blossom. It, it, it's not meant to stay small. It's meant to influence and affect every part of our lives. And when you see someone and you, and you preach the gospel to them or you serve them in a compassionate way, that that has a massive effect. Even if you don't see it, it will grow. It may be someone that for 18 years has struggled with addiction. For 18 years has struggled with guilt over sin. For 18 years, you fill in the blank. And the power of the gospel comes and it changes them. It has effects in society at large. And so I think what Jesus wants us to take away is, is be encouraged. It may look small. The kingdom always starts small. But it never stays small. It always grows. The influence is massive. The compassion and the power of the kingdom may appear small. But they will have transforming power and effects in the people that we talk to.